Good morning. It's uh, it's good to see you. Whether you've been a partners with us for a long time, short time, it's your first time. You're joining us online. Whatever it is, we are glad that you are here. My name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse, and it's just a privilege. I do want to mention really quickly. Uh, huge thanks to Chris uh, and Linda and Tammy and Veronica, and I might be missing a couple other people. I'm not sure who took uh, all our our middle school students, our high school students over the last. Uh, week or so, and uh, took them to Impact. Uh, what a blessing you guys are to uh, to partner with our students as they go and have fun, stay up late, get up early, uh, dance around like crazy, and uh, also learn about Jesus. We we couldn't we couldn't do that without you, and we're so thankful that you serve in that way. And uh, if you're looking for a way to serve, uh, we have plenty of ways to not just plug you in, but also stretch and grow you, uh, and that's wonderful. And a day for good is a perfect example for that. Uh, it is, as Chris mentioned, July 29th, and I know how it is, like, in this day and age, it's like, do I want to commit? Uh, how about if I just show up? If it's, you know, if, if I'm feeling, like, good about that day, I'll just kind of show up and see what happens. We'd really love for you to commit, but you're not committing for the full day. So, uh, really, it's just from, like, 8.30 to noon, right, on a Saturday. But we have some really, really cool things that we're going to be doing uh, and some things that uh, I can't tell you about right now, but I promise you, you're going to want to be a part of it because uh, I think it's it's going to be really exciting. So sign up for that today. Don't skip out on that. Don't rest on that. I think it's going to be really great. Uh, over the last three weeks, uh, today is four weeks, we've been going through a series together, a uh, message series, which is really just kind of a journey as we look at a specific topic, or sometimes it's a book of the Bible. Uh, we go through that together and talk about that and explore what God has to say about that, reveal more of who God is and who we are in Him. And over the last few weeks together, we've been looking at the topic of prayer because for most Christians, this is an area of their life where they feel like, uh, you know, I wish I was a little bit better at that. I feel like sometimes my prayer life is lacking something or my words just kind of fall out. Sometimes I fall, I, I have great intentions, I'm going to pray at night, then all of a sudden I'm waking up in this morning and somehow I didn't kind of finish that prayer out or whatever it is. Or maybe you struggle with the concept of prayer, like does it really work? Does God even really care? Uh, does he answer prayers? So we decided to go back through and look at prayers and uh, look at big prayers worth praying. That We talked about sometimes we have to change up the way that we pray and, and to really kind of go back in and renovate some of the things that we learned about praying. So the first week we talked about awareness, praying for awareness, that God would reveal in us the condition of our heart, the condition of our mind, uh, the things we worry about, the, the things that, that we struggle with, and then that God would show us a clear path to follow him, that it wouldn't be our path to follow, but it would be God's path for us to follow. And then the second week, we talked about the, this idea of a prayer of confession, and uh, that word sometimes just like even makes our skin crawl, and we're like, nah, I think I'd rather not, you know, confess anything to you. Uh, but Confession is so healing. In fact, we talked about this book, and many of you came up to me afterwards and said, I've read that book, uh, uh, and, and the book is The Body Keeps Score. And really, in that book, it, it, 
it talks about everything that we read through the Bible, that, that, that we are spiritual beings who have a physical presence. And oftentimes, when, when we're at war with ourselves, when things are going on, uh, spiritually and physically, we are not well. And you've been there before, right? Where it's like, you just feel off. And so sometimes we, we have to, and this isn't the case every time. It's not always the, the case. We don't want to make it the rule. But sometimes we have to go before God and say, listen, there's some stuff I need to confess. Or we find somebody else and we confess those things. We have a, a men's discipleship group that started just a few weeks ago. And a part of that is sharing our story, sharing some of the, the bondage things that we've been out of. It's a, such a healing, good time. Uh, and then last week we talked about the prayer of availability, uh, that, that we would be open to whatever God has called us to do. And that can be scary. It's kind of like writing a blank check to God and saying, all right, you cash it however you want to cash it. I'm good for it. What, whatever you have in mind. We talked through how do we get to that point? You know, that seems so overwhelming or scary. We're, we're kind of open to that idea until we see God moving and like, ah, yeah, maybe next time or, you know, I'll do anything you want as long as it's not, you know, serving with toddlers, you know, and then and all bets are off or whatever it is. But uh, really, truly finding the heart of God and, and helping us to align with it. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open or scroll open to uh, John chapter 17. And, and also, if you have your Bible in the Version Bible app, you can find uh, all the scriptures and notes and everything like that on the events page for Wellhouse there. John chapter 17, and I'm just going to warn you, today's a little bit different than normal. Uh, if you're familiar with Wellhouse and have heard me speak before, today's going to be a little bit different because we're going to do a little bit more reading today than what we typically do. But I just think these passages are so rich and so meaningful that I didn't want to leave anything out. As we've been talking about prayers, I could not... Uh, help, but focusing on one of the prayers of Jesus as a part of this series. And so today we're going to read uh, one of Jesus' prayers. And to set the stage for you, John chapter 17, just a few chapters before this, Jesus is with his closest people, his friends, his, his disciples, and he's preparing them for the fact that he is going to leave. He's going to be killed, uh, uh, and he's going to raise again, and he's going to, and he's telling them, "Listen, don't let your hearts be troubled, because what you see as as defeat, God is working for good." And so, in the course of this, this prayer happens that Jesus begins to pray, and this is what John records as Jesus' prayer as he's talking to them about the things that are going to happen to him and happen to them and the things that they're going to come to expect. This is John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, for you've granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have bought, uh, brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in the presence uh, with glory that I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you... To those whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. 
Now they know that everything that you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours. And all I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And the glory that has come to me through them. And I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And I'm coming to you now, saying these things in the world, so that you may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for all of those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me, and I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. This is a, a prayer that Jesus prays, and it's not necessarily clear, but we think it's at least in front of some of his disciples as he readies himself for what is going to be his crucifixion and death. And it's interesting of all the things that you could pray about uh, if you knew that you were going to die. Uh, what you would pray about. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I was thinking about that this week as, uh, as, as we watched in, in the world news this, 
this uh, kind of mini submarine uh, go down, and, and we know that, that five people on board were killed, and, and there was speculation, you know, where they were going to run out of air, would they know what was happening, and so I thought to myself, as I'm sure most people might think to themselves, what would you do if you knew kind of your life was coming to an end? What kind of things would you say? What kind of things would you want to communicate to people? What kind of things would you begin to pray about? And we don't know what their thoughts were, but we certainly know where Jesus' thoughts and his heart and his prayer was. We have that recorded for us here. And it's interesting as we go through that together that the bulk of Jesus' prayer is for unity. That as he thought about both the disciples who were surrounding him, who were about to see him die on a cross, and then the people who would be gathered in this room today and throughout the world today, that his prayer for you and I was the same and that it was for unity. Over and over and over again through his prayer, did you hear it? That he would say they, that they may be one just as you and I are one. This Greek word homoousi, which means of the same essence. That, that deep down inside we are the same. Now here's what's interesting about that is that there's a clear distinction for Jesus between himself and the Father. You hear him mention that many times. You've sent me and I'm here to glorify you. And this is the mission that you've, you've sent me to, this world, to, to glorify you. That they're not the same. We understand or uh, many of us have, have been taught the Trinitarian theology of the Father, Son, and Spirit or Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we understand the complexity of God going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember when he says, listen, we're going to make man in our image, in our likeness. There's this plurality there of God. That Jesus says we're of the same essence, but we're not exactly the same. We work in unity, but we have different distinctions. And Jesus says, that's my same prayer for my people. The people who will call me but uh, God. But it's, it's clear, it's helpful for us to remember that unity and uniformity are not the same. I think for a long time the church has gotten this wrong. I will tell you at least the church that I grew up in had this wrong. <laughs> Our goal was that everybody would kind of think the same and act the same and even dress the same. And I remember we, we had this talk uh, earlier this week, uh, our Thursday morning uh, group that meets at Cracker Barrel. By the way, if you're sleeping on that, you should come. It's, it's a fun time. You never know what we're going to talk about. This week... <laughs> There's a band of characters there. That's all I'm saying. This, this week, we were talking about reminiscing about uh, uh, growing up in church. Some of us who grew, had grown up in church. And I was saying, I remember uh, if, if, you were, if you were there and you didn't have like a tie or a sport coat, you know, you would be provided one. We had a stash, you know, so you would fit the place. Because we were looking for uniformity. That you would think and believe and dress and act like everyone else there. But that's not what Jesus is praying about. 
It's not about uniformity. Jesus is praying for unity. And this is huge. A good definition of is this. Unity is oneness in purpose, not sameness in personhood. Oneness in purpose and not sameness in personhood. See, your personhood, the way that that carries out may not look the same as me. Sometimes your theology may differ from mine. Your belief systems may, may challenge mine for, from some time, and mine might challenge you. And we may not always see eye to eye. Our differences may go back from childhood or begin just anew today, but that's okay. Jesus doesn't call us to uniformity. He does not call us to be the sameness in personhood. He calls us to the sameness in purpose. That we would have a purpose in this world and here's what's interesting is that Jesus begins his prayer this way. Did you catch it? Did you catch what he began to pray about early on? He says, I I'm glorifying you. Glorify me on the earth as I'm glorifying you. Well, how is he glorifying God? What's he getting ready to do? Well, he's getting ready to surrender his whole life for the glory of the Father. See, there's something about us that says, man, I would love to be glorified. Just I don't want to die to myself. <laughs> you know, like if there's another way to do that, that would be awesome, but I don't want that way. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The purpose in everything I do is to point back to the creator who made me for a purpose. That's why I came here, was to, to point my life and those around me to the Father who sent me. That's his purpose. I don't know about you, um, but one thing, if you have not learned this about me, then um, you will, coming up next summer. I am a huge Olympics buff. I mean, you may not meet anybody who loves the Olympics as much as I love the Olympics. I want to watch the opening ceremonies. I get excited about countries I've never even heard of before until the Olympics. I watch sports that I'm pretty sure are made up, but I, but I will root every time. I mean, like, doubles luge, that has to be the craziest. Uh, that, that started out of a joke, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Uh, nevertheless, I'm all in. I've learned things about curling. I've never even played the sport, but I'm pretty sure I'd be good at it. I mean, I don't know. I just, I love the Olympics. Love it. It strikes me every time I watch it how emotional athletes will get when they wrap themselves, and if you're not patriotic or you are, doesn't, I'm not talking about that, but they will wrap themselves in the, the flag of their country and stand on a podium and listen to not a song of their choosing. Their national anthem being played. Because they know their role. See, their role is to give their best in their sport at their time. Not for their glory, but for the glory of something bigger than them. 
And you'll find that throughout all of the Olympic sports. They walk in together with their country, and some of them are like two or three people. And they're just as happy and just as excited as the, as the countries who have hundreds of people coming in, as they're representing who they've worked for, the long hours they've put in, recognizing it's not for their glory. When they stand on the stage, it won't be a song dedicated to them, but dedicated to a long lineage that goes well before them and well after. Now, I realize that this thought probably in your mind triggers a lot of things that you could poke holes at, but would you stick with me for just a moment on it? Because I think there's some truth for that in our relationship with Christ and unity. There's some of us in the room that if we were like uh, uh, on, on some kind of like God's Olympic team, I know no, that sounds crazy. It sounds like I'm, I, all of a sudden I went to like teaching middle school students. Okay, hang with me. But some of us are like, you know, we're playing badminton. I mean, that's, that's the, some of us, we have given our life to gymnastics or whatever it is. But the glory is not for us, nor is it to diminish anybody else's. The glory is that when at the end of our life, we have acted in such a way, we have pointed to God in such a way that when the final thing is done, it's not our name being called. It's not our music being toted around. It's the purpose is to glorify God. But this is difficult. And I think Jesus knew that this is difficult. And that's why it was his final prayer. Because unity is so tough. Do you remember, uh, those of you who are married, do you remember the day that you stood on the podium or in the barn or wherever it was and you were like, all right, listen, till death do us part, we're in this thing for life, you know, I can't, I can't imagine spending my life with anybody else but you. You're beautiful, babe, in every way. You're so handsome. I love you so much. There's nothing you could do that would ever change that. And then two months later, you're like, man, if you leave your dirty socks out one more time, I'm going to cram them down your throat. So far, you'll have to have surgery to get them out. It's because unity, man, unity is hard, is it not? Unity is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. So how do we live into the prayer that Jesus prayed for us? Listen, Jesus says, May the people coming after who hear and believe because of what these people are saying, may they be one as well. How do we get there in a world that is so divided where we have talking heads and feelings and preferences and movements that seem to divide us more and more every day? I believe that one of the first things we have to do is recognize what Jesus also points out in this prayer, and that unity starts in the revealed truth of God. I recognize that that sounds old school. I recognize that that, that sounds like, wow, you really laid a, I've never thought about that before, Steve. Congratulations. It starts with God. Wonderful. 
But this is where Jesus goes back to over and over again. In verses 1 through 3, Jesus states that he brought out the glory of God through completing the works of God. That if we're going to get to unity, it begins in knowing the purpose of why God sent us here to begin with. And listen, if we lose that, we lose everything. If we lose that, we lose everything. Verse 17, Jesus begins to pray and he says, Father, sanctify them or or bring them out, draw them out to your word because it's truth. In a world that's clamoring for attention and in a world that's clamoring for all kinds of information, we love information. There's very little wisdom Jesus says, no, 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 of all the things that you're going to hear, your word is truth. Unity starts in the revealed truth of God. I don't know of another movement that tends to bring non-like-minded people together for something bigger than themselves. It doesn't seem to happen this side of heaven outside of the truth of God. Where you and I can be opposed on so many other levels and still surrender ourselves to the purpose of God in our life. See, unity is about, is a result of seeking out God's purpose above everything. But there are some common themes that seem to disrupt unity over and over again. And you've probably been there before. And so today as we kind of wrestle through this, I want to point out a few things that may be stumbling blocks in your path. There's certainly been stumbling blocks in my path to unity with other people. And sometimes that's unity in my family. Sometimes that's looked like unity in the church bodies that I've been uh, involved in. Sometimes that looks like unity uh, amongst other people in my life. As the apostle Paul, Paul at one point in time, if you remember his story, he had a different name. His name was Saul, but he met Jesus on the road. Jesus changed his life, and then he went from killing Christians, or at least supporting killing Christians, to to leading Christians and to helping them understand God's purpose in their life a little better. And he writes to a church in Philippi, and he encourages them in their faith. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Philippians chapter 2. And as he writes to them about their faith, I'm going to read another long section of Scripture, so just hang on. Uh, But I believe it ties in perfectly with what Jesus talks about in his prayer for unity. He says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If you have any comfort in his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, basically what he's saying is like, if there's any benefit to being in Christ, if you've gotten anything out of it at all, then make my joy complete. Well, how do I do that? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, It's important for us to remember that Paul is not talking about the sameness in personhood, but the sameness in purpose. 
He says this, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interest, but each of you for the interest of others. And I think this is one of the areas that destroys unity. The first thing is this, overlooking. I tried to find a fancier word to say there and I just couldn't find one. But then I thought, you know, this, that's really what it is. How many of you have noticed this before? If you've studied the life of Jesus, there's this phrase that comes up over and over again. And it, and it says this, as they were walking along the way, Jesus saw such and such person and he had compassion on them. He saw such and such person and he showed them compassion. And I think about how many times in my life where I fail to see and then show what I've been shown. See, the first step to disunity is to overlook the people that Jesus always seemed to see and show compassion to. And here, Paul reminds us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't walk around thinking all of life is about you and how you think things should go. And let me tell you, I have struggled with that. There are times I'm driving down the road and somebody, you know, cuts in front of me in a hurry and then decides the rest of the trip, they're going to make it slow. And I'm like, why would, you, why would you be in such a hurry to cut me off if you're only going to go 10 miles an hour the rest of this trip? Because I think life is about me. And that carries its way out in a whole lot of other things that aren't nearly as funny. And Paul reminds us, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, underline this word, value others above yourself. What value do you put in the other? To know the interest of others means you must begin to know the others. Paul says, listen, you, you, you need to not just look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. We talked about this in our, in our class this morning at Panera, that sometimes we walk into the situation, we think, oh, okay, I know exactly what you need. This is how it's going to change your world. And so we start to give somebody else how we think their world should look. But that's not what they need. Maybe what they need is for you to stop and listen and to understand their world, their other. And see, to know the interest of the other means you must begin to know the other. Who is the other that you often overlook? You look past. It's hard to give compassion to. See, unity doesn't come until we stop overlooking the other, the person who we fail to know well to understand their story, to see how they were shaped. Paul is not done. And if he hasn't stepped on your toes yet, he will. In Paul fashion, he says this in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Tough to do. High bar. He says this, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
And rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. And at that name uh, of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but when he starts off and he says, listen, I, I, I think in, in relationship to other people, you should have an attitude like Jesus Christ. You're like, well, Jesus was love and kind and that's great. And he said, no, 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 no. I need, I need to go a little bit further and help you understand. See, Jesus had, had, had kingship. He had authority. He had power and he gave it all up to serve. See, he didn't consider equality with God something to be leveraged for himself, although he could have. He leveraged it for you. I think another destroyer of unity is our attitude. Have you ever noticed some days you wake up and like your attitude is bent for no good reason? Some of you are like, I'm standing right next to that person. I hope they're listening, you know. Don't elbow them. It will not end well for you. Man, what is it with us? It's almost as if Paul knows that we're going to struggle with our attitude in life. And the way that we interact with other people, our attitude is going to get in the way so many times. And what I want to encourage you in is that a small attitude shift may be the biggest impact in your world. See, I wonder what it would look like if you asked a simple question to your spouse or to your kids or to your coworker, to your friends, the people who know you and interact with you uh, on a daily basis and say this, ask this question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? When I'm having a bad day, when I don't get things my way, when I'm short-tempered, when I'm, when I'm not my best self, what is it like for you to be on the other side of me? And maybe we use that to then change our attitude to be more like Christ. But if Paul hasn't gotten you yet, he is not finished See, overlooking others destroys unity. Our attitude towards people destroys unity. And Paul says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in in, uh, presence, but also in my absence, continue out your work and salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according uh, to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that, underline this, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you're going to shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming to your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. And you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I don't know about you, but I've shared that verse with my kids many times. Oh, don't, don't, don't fight, don't argue. Don't forget what the Bible says. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. And I wonder how many times they would love to say, but don't feel safe enough to say, does that apply to you too? Does that apply to you too? Do everything without arguing or complaining in a world that seems to love to argue. What if you resisted? See, it's possible to disagree with somebody and not be pulled into an argument. It's possible to disagree and not be pulled into an argument. There are times where it is just not worth it. You will lose whatever momentum you've gained by being pulled into an argument that brings you and them down. And Paul says, listen, you are not going to shine like stars. You are not going to look like children of God if you walk around arguing with everybody who wants to fight with you. And maybe... One of the hardest things that Paul teaches is very subtle. He says, listen, do everything without arguing or complaining. And that sounds great when you tell it to a five-year-old because they didn't get the milk and cookies when they wanted the milk and cookies, right? But what about when your life shatters? Paul says, listen, don't complain. You're like, Paul, how about you shut up? I mean, just for a moment. I don't like your theology right now. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Did you notice how Paul addresses this? Think about this for Paul. He travels his whole life. He's beaten. He's shipwrecked. He's thrown in jail. He wonders about the way he's going to die. He's writing letters from prison. And then he says in verse 17, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and the service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. What's that, Paul? What'd you say? He says, even if I spend my whole life and it just gets emptied out, and that's it. And there's no attaboys, and there's no bigger churches, and there's no glory to Paul, and I don't ever make it rich, and my name doesn't ever make it in the, high, in the, in the spotlight or whatever it is. I will be glad and rejoice. Some of you have experienced the even ifs, as Paul says, even if. Some of you have experienced those. And my heart breaks for you. And my heart breaks with you. And I think Paul's does, and I 
believe God's does as well, but I want to give you some hope in that today. That even ifs give us the opportunity to complain or find contentment in what God has given us. And even though that is hard to say, in the pain is oftentimes where we find the biggest unity. See, we would love it in the things that, that meet our mission, that make us feel good, right? Like it would be great if everybody at home was like, all right, today we're turning a new page and everybody's going to clean up after themselves and isn't this going to be great? And you find out, you know, within two hours, not everybody's on your mission like you are. But what if you find unity in your pain? What if you find unity in the even if? When everything blows up and nothing goes the way you thought it was going to go. And you meet other people there in that space. And together you find that your purpose isn't to glorify you. It's always been and it will forever be to glorify him through the things you go through. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Out of him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you, transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things, through all things, and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue?